Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Purple Insider is presented by Oakley. Express yourself. Build a look that's made for you. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Try it for yourself. Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality. So head on over to oakley.com for more information today. From Pro Football Network is Arif Hassan, recently of a trip to Menards to fix things, is why we're a couple of minutes behind recording. I think that you have to explain this because this is quite the revelation for you, Arif, to be doing housework with hardware. So please explain before we get into the football. Yeah, no, I've just decided that uh, I wanted to get back to the roots um, to, you know, understand kind of what makes men, men. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I saw, I, I saw, um, you know, last year, someone went to Home Depot, bought a plank of wood and said that this is what manliness is. And I figured, well, I could, I could do better than that. I could buy multiple things at Home Depot and Menards. And so I did. Um, and uh, the, my beard became fuller. Uh, I don't know if you can notice that, but um, it's, it's certainly a much fuller beard now, just having purchased items at these hardware stores, uh, we will be doing all sorts of hardware related things. Um, so for example, recocking the bathtub, that's a phrase that I get to use. Um, we will be putting up, uh, you know, different gauges of metal into different areas of the house. That's important. Um, I'm uh, I'm very familiar with the differences between different alloys of steel, and uh, and and that's knowledge that I've been imbued with with my masculinity. No, I mean we're we're selling the house, so we have to like renovate a couple of things. So. Oh, okay, right. Uh, I'm very impressed though because all that sounded like it was real, and uh, I think it may be. So I, that's good stuff. And you're also wearing a flannel, even though it's eighty something degrees, which is very similar to say like Bob Vila or Ron Swanson, like some of the great <laughs> manly men who fix stuff of our time. So uh, I, yeah, I'm impressed. Well, good luck with that. It always is quite a bit of work selling a house. So uh, yeah. you're, you're in for it there, but you've got some time because, you know, national writers like yourself covering the NFL, they've got time in the summer. Unlike those of us who have teams that may cut or trade their greatest players after <laughs> June 1st. I was, <laughs> I was thinking about this yesterday, Arif, like how often do you see a team with four of its best players where the uh, there's some uncertainty after June 1st, Delvin Cook, Kirk Cousins, uh, you know, Daniil Hunter, Justin Jefferson. Like this is something that does not happen. And like, but also classic that the Vikings would never let us sleep for two seconds without oh, yeah. wondering, are they trading Kirk right now while I'm taking a nap? 
Yeah, one thing about like having a broader focus is that like you get to put all of the crazy stuff the Vikings do in like a in a context of all of the other teams. Because like sometimes I wonder like it, it can't just be it can't just be Minnesota. All teams must be like this, or many teams must be. Like this. No, Minnesota is like pretty unique in how nutso it is, and you've covered another team, right? So you know. But like it's just it's crazy how like. On your toes, you have to be on the on the way to recording this podcast. I opened an email that a roster move has been made by the Vikings, and I'm like, "Oh, this is it! They did it without leaking. That's incredible!" And it's you know, Ellison retired, which good for him. But like, okay, so now there's like 88 spots on the roster filled. Great, fantastic, good. That means <laughs> major free agent signing at any time, major trade, major whatever. Uh, but I agree with you when I opened that same email and I saw roster was like, oh, what, what, what is it? What's going on? Is Delvin? No. Okay. Not today, I guess, but maybe some other right. time. Um, and so we've talked, of course, uh, as you would expect on the show, a lot about those things. And I want to play a game of talk me into that involves not only the Vikings, but some other teams around the league. And I know that you have never played talk me into, but just by the name of it, you can figure out how it goes, right? Yeah. I give you a subject and you're, uh, goal is to talk me into it, even if you don't believe in it. And then you ask me to talk you into stuff, even if I don't believe in it. So there you go. There's all the rules that it takes. I want to start out with sort of what we were just discussing about talking me into the Vikings having handled this offseason so far in the right way. Can you talk me into them having done the right things to push them in the right direction? Ultimately, I don't know, toward a Super Bowl or at least by getting better for their long-term vision for what they have done so far, regardless of what they're about to do, because we don't know yet. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, the goal of the Vikings here is to remain consistently competitive while at the same time bringing in as much talent so they can constantly, I guess, churn through the the, the amount of talent that they need to in order to constantly be um, at the head of the pack. And so what the Vikings have done is that they have approached things from a way of finding as many market inefficiencies as possible. Uh, And so that means finding players who teams undervalue because their best season wasn't the most recent season, finding players who uh, teams undervalue because they're a little bit older hitting free agency, finding players who teams undervalue because of the way that the market has shifted towards people who like defend the pass versus people who defend the run uh, and so on. And so they, for example, have made sure that with the proliferation of light boxes, that they increase the number of blockers that they have available to them in the run game. They have determined that even though um, kind of contemporary studies say that play action and and run capability isn't related, that they have found that uh, the ability to run, not, you know, your performance when you run, but the the ability to threaten a run, say, for example, having two tight ends on the field, improves your play action capacity. And so bringing in another tight end in free agency, bringing in Marcus Davenport, whose most recent good season wasn't the most recent season, finding those players who the market undervalues in order to find, you know, long-term solutions, right? Marcus Davenport is a one-year contract, but partway through the season, if he is performing, you have the ability to create a long-term extension for him. Finding that and paying attention to analytical principles, knowing that, for example, a running game might be important, but a running back may not be, right? And so attempting to, you know, put a running back on the market, extending Alexander Madison, because he is kind of the ideal situation when it comes to, um, you know, a committee back that embodies this. The run game may be important, but the running back that isn't necessarily, you don't want to overpay there. And so they have found ways to find those market inefficiencies. They've completely turned over their secondary. They know that the secondary is the key to modern defenses, while at the same time knowing that if that's what they're going to do, they have to be run stuffers 
at defensive tackle position. So they made sure to keep Harrison Phillips. They didn't pay too much for Dalvin Tomlinson. And they grabbed Quellen Roy, kept Kyrus Tonga. And so they have run stuffers up the middle that allows them to lighten the box and counterintuitively do a better job protecting against the pass. And so they've got a number of versatile players in the back end. That's good for the Brian Flores defense. They've got a number of safeties that can play corner. They've got a couple of corners that might be able to transition into safety. And so you've got players that can play in the slaughter up higher in the box um, that will allow you to much better defend the pass, even though you've got run stuffers up front. So the, it is taking modern football concepts and thinking ahead just a little bit. So that is, I think, what they have successfully accomplished within the parameters of this game. Well, I think you've done a very good job there. And what one of the things is, I remember last year at one point getting a little exasperated with some of the moves and yelling, where's the analytics? And with uh, Crazy Adafo Mensa. And I think that this year we started to see them much more, that a, a lot of the moves really came into focus that of things yes. that you and I would have been talking about uh, years ago as sort of the most efficient ways by the people who have studied things closely. And uh, I also think that, you know, Gary Kubiak is, is no fool. And when he was throwing two tight ends out there at, with, you know, with a couple of wide receivers and looking for some big shots downfield, like he knew what he was doing and they didn't have that tool in their bag to be versatile last year. It was kind of like, if you're not running 11 personnel, there really isn't much of a threat there because it was Ben Ellison or Johnny Munt on the field. And those guys couldn't do a whole lot in the passing game where I think Josh Oliver actually does have the potential to be a threat in the passing game based on what he did in college and yes. a handful of passes that he got in Baltimore, but also uh, what I've noticed and I think is an interesting part of this as well is they were a black hole running the ball last year where there were a lot of teams that were actually on the plus side of expected points in, in yeah, running al the ball. Almost, almost half of teams this, this last year, almost half were actually on the plus side of expected points in the run game. First time it's happened since like 2006. Like yeah, I was going to say, you actually can't understate like how crazy that is compared to what we had seen in recent years. You even go back like four or five years and it's 90% of teams are negative when rushing. So I think that teams are figuring out how to better run the football efficiently, when to better run the ball. And then, like you said, defenses have totally changed to try to play these Fangio and shell type systems. I also think that drafting a wide receiver is part of this as well. But the one holdup is the quarterback position hasn't been resolved. And I understand why it hasn't. That also has to have an opportunity to do that. And they were drafting 23rd. They were not going to be able to trade up and get Bryce Young, as was reported that they wanted to. And just like you want to be six foot seven, like it was never going to happen. Yeah, right. But, uh, you know, I, I am I am convinced, though, that this offseason showed us a lot of things with Kwesi Adafo Mensa and his overall approach that we did not see last year that I was impressed by their, their general, the general feel of what we got from them. I think the one holdup is just when you don't know what's going to happen at the quarterback position, you sit here and wonder, wait, are they going to extend Kirk still? Or like what's going to happen here? Because you can do all those things you named right and have that thing not go right. And you still end up in a rut. Yeah. And that defines your season. Yeah. Not yeah, I, I don't know, I don't defines know your next five years. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. I mean, that that allows me to get you to talk me into something, which is that I need you to talk me into a Kirk Cousins extension. You know, I was worried about you doing something like this. <laughs> I thought <laughs> if you play this game with a reef, he's going to come up with some sinister stuff. Because I, I thought I thought this was a new reef. I, I thought you know he's building stuff. Yeah, like, I'm I'm, nice. a, I'm a salt of the earth reef. That doesn't mean I'm a good person reef. <laughs> uh, okay. I've got it. 
when you look at the, the Raiders situation last year with Derek Carr, they gave Derek Carr a contract extension. And then after a year between Derek Carr and Josh McDaniels, and do not misunderstand me, I am not trying to present the Raiders as team that knows what they're doing. Uh, they are not. But uh, from this from this perspective, though, they created an extension for Derek Carr that was kind of a phony extension. It was like get him some more money in his pocket and make it look like he's got security, even though they can release him uh, after a year. And it was basically a year type did. of extension yeah. as they did. And that's why he plays for the Saints. Now, the yeah. Vikings could create somewhat of a extension that allows them to next year draft a quarterback that sits behind Kirk. Now this probably should have happened this year, but there had to be a quarterback there. And aside from Will Levis, who went in the second round, which, you know, I, I did not blame them for not doing because nobody else decided to pick him in the first round. It's like, I, I, I don't know. I just am, am not wanting them to stretch on that type of quarterback. Um, I think we've seen that type of quarterback fail many times, and I would not want Kevin O'Connell to just be locked into that quarterback. So if they were looking for the Alex Smith thing, I think we were looking for that to be this year. But if you extend him, you could have it be next year. Or if everything goes wrong, you can set up an extension for him to be able to leave and hit free agency the same way that Derek Carr did, yet it puts more money in his pocket right away. And then you can go forward. Let's say that you only win six games this year and then he wants out. He wants to go play for another team. That could still be a possibility. Um, you know, this is a tough one to talk you into, but also there is $28 million of dead cap for next year, which I think that they would want to try to, uh, you know, move that out to a right. couple of more seasons, Make something which up, would, basically, right. Yeah. Which is one of the benefits of a potential extension. So if you could kind of have your cake and eat it too with Kirk cousins, then I think that you could do something like this. Does that talk you into it? It does. Cause you were weaselly about it. The, the fair. reason, fair. the reason it worked is because you didn't, uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I'm not playing fair, right? Um, but the reason it worked is because I, I didn't ask you to talk me into a long-term commitment to Cousins. That's not what I asked. I asked for an extension. You designed an extension structure that allowed the Vikings to get out of it in some way, which I think is actually a, a smart thing to do. I think that probably even better than, you know, the Derek Carr situation would be, and not that that was like a great situation, but like in terms of the structure is to make it tradable, right? Like I think that that was kind of one of the issues with the Raiders is that, that contract wasn't as tradable as it was releasable, which sounds like the same thing, but only on the recipient or only on the, on the, on the team perspective, not on any team that's going to trade for him. It would be an onerous contract. And so making it so that it is something that a contract that you can trade for as well as trade from would make it um, a, a pretty exciting prospect because then you can turn dollars into picks, which is something that NFL teams have been trying to do since that tricky Brock Osweiler trade that the Browns made to get a second round pick and also Brock Osweiler. Um, NFL teams have been trying to do that a little bit and it has been really tough. There's very few examples of being able to trade cash for cap uh, or trade cash for, for picks. And I think this is kind of one of the examples where you might be able to construct that because teams are always looking for a quarterback that's going to give them some level of stability. And for as much as, you know, we criticize Kirk Cousins, it's, it's kind of like, and, and I got into a Twitter argument about this last week. The reason people criticize Kirk Cousins is not because people don't think he's a good quarterback. Almost universally, and obviously there's, there's exceptions, people think he's a good quarterback. The question is, is he a good enough quarterback to get the final parts of the job done? And when you compare him to quarterbacks 
like not even Patrick Mahomes, that's impossible, but like a Jalen Hurts or a good version of Dak Prescott or Joe Burrow or, or even like Trevor Lawrence, right? When you compare him to those quarterbacks, he falls short, right? And so it's easy to be in a place where you're criticizing him because of where your expectations are. But that's that's where the Vikings are right now. They made the playoffs. They couldn't win the playoffs. Well, a team that has built the rest of its roster really well and thinks that like they maybe they're in the spot that San Francisco was in last year. Can you imagine if the 49ers had instead of Brock Purdy, Kirk Cousins? And I, I don't think the most of Brock Purdy, so cards on the table. But I, I you know, I that that probably would have been they probably would have won that game against the Eagles, which is a weird thing to say, but I think so. And so, um, plus, I mean, he's durable, right? It's kind of an issue there. Um, so yeah, there are teams that 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 could find a market for a quarterback like Kirk Cousins, especially if they're picking late, especially if they feel like they've built the rest of the roster. If, like, you're in a Steeler situation where now you're comfortable with the rest of your roster, you finally figured out that offensive line situation, that defense is getting better, and Kenny Pickett has not developed. Um, well, you're coached by Mike Tomlin, so you're not going to pick high. So um, you, could, you could trade for Kirk Cousins or something like that. So in extension... Yeah, that talk, you talked me into it. Wow, I did a good job on something that I don't think. I <laughs> I think, I, I yeah, and all those things actually do make sense, and that's why I could still very much see it happening, that they do even fairly soon announce an extension for Kirk Cousins, because I think that when Kirk looks at it as well, there's probably some risk there for him, not only going into a year. Remember, he was the most hit quarterback in the NFL last year. And even though he survived that, I do wonder if the one, I think it was Jonathan Allen, caught him pretty good and knocked the wind yeah. out of there. I mean, he yeah, took a few hits bad. last year where, I mean, you, you have to. I thought to his Iron Man streak was going to be over after that Allen hit. I really, I really did. Like he did not move at all. And uh, then, he, you know, it turned out he was okay. And the MVP of last season was that rib protector, but that's, you know, that I think that's the offense. I think it asks him to stay with reads a little longer than maybe in the past. And he's going to take hits. And if you're him, that's more guaranteed money for you. It might be more that you get from your own team than from another team in free agency, because it's not like Derek Carr got some crazy 48 million or something. He got like, what was it like 35 so, and guaranteed was not super impressive. And, and so they might look at that and say, well, a team has to be really desperate and the saints were really desperate, but they still got a reasonable contract for Derek Carr. So there's kind of incentive for both sides to do it. I still think the Vikings should just let it play out, eat it, draft a quarterback next year and go forward that way. But when you do have an edict to remain competitive, then you kind of have to stay with that. Like you, you can, you know, be good with Kirk, try to continue to rebuild the defense and, and look forward uh, to next year to potentially draft and sit a quarterback for a year. So I think that might be something that is going through their mind. I want you to talk me into not just the Detroit Lions being good, the Detroit Lions being the best team in the NFC. Because I think the obvious talk me into would be like, talk me into it not working, but that's not hard. You just say their team name. Uh, so <laughs> I want, I'm going to give you the harder challenge, which is, Convince me all the hype for the Detroit Lions. I saw Aiden Hutchinson was talking about, hey, what if the Lions were to win a Super Bowl? Like, okay, getting ahead of ourselves a little. But but all right. I want you to talk me into the Detroit Lions, Super Bowl representative of the National Football Conference. 
Folks, our new sponsor, Oakley, maybe you've noticed it has taken our show to the next level. Oakley, express yourself and build a look that is made for you. And guess what? That's exactly what I did. Just got a new pair of matte black prism sapphire polar sunglasses from Oakley. And I got to say, they are a game changer. I'll be wearing them golfing, playing basketball, training camp. It is clear now that I have not been doing anywhere enough for my sunglasses game until now. Oakley is changing the game, and it's time for you to discover a whole new world of possibilities. They are suited for everyday wear with frames and lenses, allowing for an extension of yourself, an expression of personality more than meets the eye. So make a sunglasses upgrade today at oakley.com. Personally, I am loving my new pair of Oakleys. They even offer prism lens technology. What the heck is that? It is a proprietary technology to Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. If you want to know more, and I know you do, head over to oakley.com and do your own research there. And while you're at it, get yourself a pair of everyday glasses as well that will change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there is more than meets the eye. Try it for yourself. I have worn a lot of sunglasses in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Go to oakley.com for more information today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, well, let's start with the defense. It was one of the worst defenses in the NFL last year. They only got away with what they did because the offense was explosive and surprisingly consistent. So what happens here is that the defense needs to get better. Now, I ran a model over at Pro Football Network, plug, 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 uh, to try and predict who the best defenses are. Fool's errand, by the way. I mean, it's defensive performance is really difficult to predict. But the inputs are, you know, like draft position and um, you know, which positions matter more, where you've invested in free agency and stuff like that, um, as well as, you know, stuff like PFF grade and trying to figure out how good a player is and all that. Well, their moves to basically restructure the entire secondary, they already have a really great defensive line. Linebacker doesn't matter that much, but they have improved a little bit there. But their moves to restructure their secondary, adding a player like Brian Branch, um, those have resulted in a defense that I've modeled to be about average which is a huge upgrade for them. (laughs) Uh, And so I I think that once you get there, you're at a point where this team is probably not a 500 team, right? So I I think that that's like a pretty easy thing to convince you that that defense will likely regress towards average because of the investments that they've made. They've got a really good run stuffing front. Aiden Hutchinson played well in the back half of the season. uh, And they've got a lot of promise um, at edge rusher because they're not going to have the injury issues, likely not going to have the injury issues with the Aquora's uh, and plus they've got James Houston, a super promising guy that got like t- sacks on 20% of his pass rushes last year. Um, so, you know, they've got that, that capability in the back end. I'm not saying they're going to be a world beating defense, but you can see how they would be an average defense. The question is whether or not that offense has the ability to be consistent and explosive. Now that offense was in the passing game run entirely through Amon Ross and Brown. Jameson Williams famously had one catch last year, right? Against the Vikings. Um, but um, that's not going to be the case next year. Um, not only have they made investments in tight end to replace TJ Hawkinson, um, they have also 
you know, they have a full offseason available for Jamison Williams, a, a, an explosive receiver that can do as much as you need him to do, whether it's going to be as a deep ball threat or as an after catch threat. And they've got really great after catch options in Amon Ross St. Brown. Now, historically, relying on last year's after catch offense to be as good this year in after catch performance is famously dicey it's much better to have a deep ball offense that seems more it seems more inconsistent but from season to season tends to produce more well here they've made sure that they can consistently provide the offensive tools that they need to have somebody like jared goff be as consistently explosive now the lions were able to make a ton of points by being explosive in the run game and i've talked to a lot of running back guys about deandre swift specifically i was like hey why would they draft Jameer gibbs and get rid of deandre swift he was so explosive last year and they were like DeAndre Swift has got to be the least consistent explosive running back in the NFL. He's a pure athlete. He doesn't have any vision. And this is before they drafted Jameer Gibbs. I, I was getting these scouting reports. They wrote these up beforehand. Now they draft Jameer Gibbs. And like, so now we get that context. Jameer Gibbs, maybe they overdrafted the guy. Fine. They didn't get good value for their pick. Okay. That's not what the game is. The game is to win games, right? And so they've been able to grab a, a running back with much better contact balance than DeAndre Swift and much better vision. And those things, combined with how great that offensive line is at run blocking, allow them to be one of the few teams in the league that's explosive in the run game. And you just said, you just said that teams can now gain positive expected points in the run game. And who would we expect that more of than a Dan Campbell team that had one of the most explosive run games in the NFL last year, that has a point guard at quarterback that has a better roster of receivers to throw to, and has the ability to generate explosion in both the run game and in the passing game. Uh, there is a lot of offensive explosive potential here. And um, if they if they can kind of continue along the path with the Jameson Williams and the investments they made at receiver and tight end, they could be a top five offense again. So you've got a top five offense and a, and a middle of the pack defense. I mean, how many Super Bowls is that one? A lot. <laughs> it has. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a baseline for a defense that you have to be at least average, that it's very, very hard to win if you have a horrible defense. Um, which is why last year they didn't make the playoffs in part because they had a horrible defense and an amazing offense. Uh, so it's funny because we're thinking along the same lines about the Jameer Gibbs thing, because on draft night, a lot of Vikings fans were like, LOL lions. What are you doing? I'm like, you do have to play him. You do have to like, he's going to play and look, was it the best draft pick for the Minnesota Vikings in 2017 to take Delvin cook a running back with their highest pick that year? Efficiency wise, probably not, but man, did he run for a lot of yards? So like yeah. he's really good at football. And uh, you know, so there's a difference between did you use your draft pick in the most efficient team building way? And also that guy could be really good at football, which could make the Detroit lions better. I have a lot of belief in two parts of their team that I think uh, will sustain them. Number one is offensive coordinators. I think that uh, they kept coordinators, them. They yeah, to keep them. Yes. Right. Right. It's uh, Ben Johnson. Keeping him is a huge thing and uh, offensive line. And I think they have an argument for the second best offensive line in football, probably behind the Philadelphia Eagles. And when Jared Goff historically has had an offensive line, I, he, he's been fantastic. And, and one thing I thought of in 2021 was if Jared Goff had Matthew Stafford's offensive line, because the previous year, their line got all banged up and wasn't any good. And I think PFF ranked them like 25th. And then they were number one with Stafford. So Stafford gets to own the 5,000 yards of the Super Bowl and all that. And poor Jared Goff, you know, but I think we saw it last year when that man can drop back in the pocket, set his feet and throw a football. He's pretty darn good. And I think he really understands where that football is supposed to go. So if all those things are set up for him, he's he can be 
excellent. And Vikings fans are not going to underrate Jared Goff because he has clobbered them a couple of times, beat them when they had no wins, perfect quarterback rating in Los Angeles. Like he's a guy that's given them fits. I think that this, that I am talked into this, but I do want to offer one counterpoint because I think that their roster, everything about it is legit and their offensive coordinator is legit. And uh, I think that they play hard for Dan Campbell, but I want to offer this. They're the Detroit lions. Is that, is that like a legit uh, counterpoint to this? I mean, how many times have the Detroit lions had, Oh, well, Stafford's great and Megatron. And like, this is their year. Remember the half a season where Stafford had great stats and everyone's like, "Ah, all they got to do is have Jim Bob Cooter dial up those same plays again. And uh, it didn't happen. Yeah. Because (laughs) his name is Jim Bob Cooter. But, uh, is that, is that a fa- is that a valid counterpoint to everything that you just said? So I think that, uh, to the extent that teams have like an essential character, right. That they, that they, they carry with them. I think that there is a truth to it in a non-superstition, uh, non-superstitious manner insofar as, uh, Spanos will always be owning the chargers, Right. And so I, some of that is endemic to the investments that the owner makes or the team culture that the owner implements. Washington, the Washington Commanders will stop being the Washington Commanders. I am confident of that because of the ownership change, right? Um, and I think that Jimmy Haslam owning the Browns has cut the Browns off at the knees. I think that the Browns are doing a lot of smart things, and it's been really difficult, right? Because, you know, you've got an owner that listens to a person, just a random person on the street, tell them to draft a quarterback, and suddenly they're doing that now, right? Um that's that's an issue that you have to overcome. The thing is, the the culture of ownership in Detroit has changed over the past couple of years, and they invested in making sure that they had a stable, strong football culture throughout their operation, which is why they fired everybody, everybody, before they brought in Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell. And I think, I think that that's meaningful. I think that you can say, hey, They've been the Detroit Lions because they've had some sort of institutional rot in the way that the organizational culture has developed, and um, and they can't really get over that. But the Lions have done some really crazy stuff over the past couple of years, including getting back down from like 1-6 to becoming a playoff contender. Like, yeah, they didn't make the playoffs. That's important, right? Almost getting there, who cares about almost, right? So I don't want to like oversell it, but like when a team like the lions has a late second half season rally, when they lose one of their best players in TJ Hawkinson, who we found out actually turns out really great asset. He's really good. Um, And they figured out how to make that team operate without that guy, you know, maybe like a a Ewing effect sort of thing. Right. Um, That I think says a lot about the team culture, which I think pushes back against our understanding of like, they're the Detroit Lions. I think like the Dan Campbell meathead jockiness of all of it, is just overwhelming the Detroit Lionsiness of the Detroit Lions, which it takes a strong personality to do that. And I think they have that. Like, I I don't think that Kevin Stefanski, I love him. I think he's actually a really good coach. I don't think he can overcome the Brownsness of the Browns, right? It takes an extraordinarily strong culture and, and personality to kind of change that element to the team. You know, I mean, now that you're going to Home Depot and Menards, I'm not surprised that you're really behind Dan Campbell here. Like, there's a lot of synergy there between those things. Uh, yeah, I and I also think that, I mean, look, everybody knows where I was before this in Buffalo. They couldn't have been more of an atrocity. 
And then they draft the right quarterback and they get the right coach in Sean McDermott. And I think we saw his leadership, especially last year uh, and the culture that he's built last year when they had to go through so much and still made it deep into the playoffs. Um, despite the DeMar Hamlin thing, all the injuries that they went through, they still had an overall really good season. And I think that spoke to him. I was actually surprised he didn't win coach of the year after everything that he went through. And so that, that can be the case that you are kind of only as good as the the culture that you build, unless I guess you have Mahomes and then just anything goes. But uh, yeah, I, I agree with you that same old whatever team is a thing that only holds up until you get a good offense and they have a really good offense and a really good offensive line. I think that gives them a chance. I would not put them in the top two, but I might put them in the top four of NFC teams that could uh, make the Super Bowl. What would you like me to talk you into? I thought that one was a, was a decent challenge that you passed quite well. We're doing too good in this game. I feel like we need something a little bit next oh, level. Sure. Let's talk about the Bears then. Talk me Ooh. into the Bears. Ooh. In what way? In 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 like, uh, can I use long term as part of my Bears argument? Uh, I, I, whatever argument you use has to include Justin Fields as part of their future. Okay. Okay. That, that, all right. Now, now we're ramping it up a little bit. Now we're turning it up to 11. So with Justin Fields, one of the things that I looked at last year, cause I was trying to, I was, I was very curious about Geno Smith. Cause I remember when Geno Smith was coming out in the draft and I thought he was by far the best quarterback prospect and he was like accurate and just a really good throw of the football, good oh, arm, we, all we that stuff. We both had the same Geno take coming out of that draft then. Yeah. So crazy accurate, by the way. Right. Fast right. processor, super accurate. Threw for a gazillion yards at yeah. West Virginia and the Bills drafted EJ Manuel. And I was like, ah, should have taken Geno Smith. And then every one of those quarterbacks was horrendous. And then Geno Smith pops up 10 years later and all of a sudden he's playing extremely well. And I thought, what the heck is going on? So I tried to look for any evidence that Geno Smith like had it in him. And the answer was no, there was no, almost no evidence outside of a few games here or there, which every middling really inconsistent. Yeah. His production is, is uh, I shouldn't say quarantine, but isolated to a couple of games. Second half of the season was not that impressive at all. So it's not like he got better with time. Yeah, I, I know where you're going. And yes. explosive plays, contested catches, all of the signs of inconsistency. And here's where this ties into Justin Fields is Geno Smith was given two years. And so then I started looking back at all quarterbacks through two years to try to find patterns in whether that was predictive of their success or not. And I found that it was pretty much not that two years did not tell us who guys were going to be. But once you got into a third and a fourth year, then you really truly understood like Sam Darnold is not good at this and so forth. And I think yeah, the with, 49ers disagree. And I think they know they, a thing or two. Hey, Hall of Fame thrower to the football. Um, <laughs> I don't doubt that he could throw it, but the other team catches it. That's the problem. So, uh, <laughs> but anyway, my point, my point is just this that Justin Fields from the eye test of having seen him in person, not seem to know where to throw the ball, take a bunch of sacks and really struggle. Um, but also having seen him take off and be as explosive as he, as he is, I think that there is a floor that gets raised to where he doesn't have to become a prolific passer from being horrendous. He only has to become a decent passer from being horrendous and with an improved line, with an improved wide receiver group, I think that's really important because with Justin Fields, what I see from him is he locks onto that first read and that man is throwing that ball to that first read and that's that's what it is. 
or whatever. Like he just seems right. to lock on and stay there and stay there. And that's how he gets sacked all the time. Uh, that's also how big time throws happen sometimes where you force the ball to that guy and it becomes a great throw. If his receivers are more open, then this will work more. And I, I do think that DJ Moore is a really good player. Um, their overall franchise approach has been nothing short of fantastic from a true tear it down play Nathan Peterman and Tim Boyle in your last game. So you get that freaking number one overall pick trade the heck out of that pick and then go forward from there and just spend like crazy in free agency. Uh, have everyone complain that you overpaid for some free agent because every team with tons of cap space can do that. So I think their general manager is doing the right things. And I think that the jury should very much still be out and we shouldn't use those first two years stats to really predict what he's going to be. And it just cannot be forgotten that at any time at in any game, it could be a 60 yard touchdown because he is that explosive and that dynamic. So if he even raises, it's like you're talking about with the lions, if they get to an average defense, they're really good. If he gets to the 14th or 16th best passer in the NFL and is the top three runner with him and Lamar Jackson, I mean, that can be a team that's winning and that can be a team that's dangerous. And then he can continue to make progress because sometimes we decide someone's career is over after two years when I think enough quarterbacks over history have proven to us that there is more time to someone's career than just their first couple of years. Does that talk you into Justin Fields and the Bears? It talks me a little bit into Justin Fields. I didn't really hear that much about the rest of the Bears. Well, I think uh, just with the Bears in general, what does it really matter? It's it's Justin Fields, right? Like yeah. if they're clearly doing all the other things to roster build, they're, they're spending a little bit of money because they have it, uh, but they've drafted on defense. They've got some good players there. They've stacked up draft picks. They can spend a lot to like Detroit did this year, but they can do that next year on the defensive side. Uh, the trade to get DJ Moore was really good to get yeah. a top wide receiver. I mean, I think they drafted well. So, and anytime you have a ton of picks, everyone's like, let's give them A's because they have a ton of picks <laughs> yeah. uh, in the draft grading. But something I've learned surveying draft grades over the years is the key is to have multiple first round picks. Yes, you're always going to get graded <laughs> higher when it comes to yeah. that. Uh, but I think that if we're spending too much time talking about like, did they draft this guy or this guy, or did they spend a little bit too much money on this free agent? Then we're just, then we're losing the trees. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. right. We're losing, we're losing sight and we're overconfident in our ability to evaluate individual transactions. Which and, that's and, fair. Right. And one last thing would be that if Justin Fields is indeed horrible, which I know was not part of the conversation, but if he is horrible then they draft next year really high and they get a top quarterback prospect. I don't think they could be worse than Arizona, but at least they could end up with like a Drake may or something if they win three games again. So right. I, I think that I really, and I truthfully do think they're in a great position and they probably made the right decision this year to stay with Justin Fields. Um, the talking you into the Justin Fields thing is uh, I'm a little, I'm a little sketch on it, I, but I think I tried really hard. I, I think, I think you did as, 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 good as anybody could reasonably do. I'll say that. I'll say that you have not convinced me that the Bears are definitely on the right track, but you have put the Bears into the, oh no, conversation. <laughs> like, oh, this could turn into something. If they get a couple of games early in the season, I'll remember this conversation, right? And I'll be like, there's something there. Just as I vehemently argued, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, with, your, with your with your true beliefs, beliefs. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so can we can we just like side conversation here? Like, what do you, what do you think the benchmark of how good he has to be for them not to consider quarterbacks next year? 
Man, um, if we're going to do it, like if we say, hey, let's use as our benchmark EPA per play, right, which would be really friendly to him because it incorporates, you know, running and quarterback runs are more valuable than uh, running back runs just because of when they occur and how they occur. Um, and what we count as a quarterback run, right, because sometimes they get counted the sacks if they're negative. Um, I think that from an EPA per play perspective, they would count it as progress if he was like 19th or so, which given the number of quarterbacks that end up playing over the course of a season, it's not 32, it's closer to like 35, 40, right? And so um, that would be kind of middle of the pack and they would see that as progress enough to commit to another year. Plus if he is about 18th, 19th in EPA per play and that defense has made the improvements that those investments would kind of hopefully warrant, then they wouldn't be picking top five. Right. And so it would then be tough for them to. I don't know what the quarterback class looks like next year. I know there's Drake May and Caleb Williams, and that's who we know about. And maybe that could turn into four quarterbacks like this year, or it could turn into, you know, just those two. Right. Just like in 2012. Right. We didn't know about Russell Wilson then. So um, that, you know, I don't know what that conversation looks like. If they do end up having, you know, a, a four quarterback class where somebody picking in the middle could conceivably, you know, pick a quarterback, maybe that changes. But I think for the most part, if they see progress, and if he looks like, because one of the things about the Bears is that they incorporated quarterback runs in the second half of the season a, a little bit more deliberately. It, and so his, his EPA per play, went, his passing didn't change. In fact, it got slightly worse. But his EPA per play got went up because they were incorporating that. And so if they are in that spot where it's like, hey, he's still not throwing all that great, but it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. Um, DJ Moore is gonna is is out there somewhere, and he's he's fielding punts from Justin Fields, right? Um, then then I think that they would consider that enough progress for them to continue the experiment. I might say sometimes in sports, we and you and I, nobody loves the numbers more than us, right? This is this is where you and I like a couple of things. We like uh, building stuff and like you know fighting bare knuckle boxing <laughs> each other uh going to wnba games we do that and uh, we like analytics but i might say with this situation it's gonna have to be vibes it's gonna have to be the yeah. feeling of and i mean this it's gonna have it's gonna have to be how it feels does it feel like and and this actually happened in buffalo with with josh allen where his oh, yeah, numbers when they won 10 games and they lost to houston when he had that hilarious fumble in the playoffs like that year, when you look at his numbers, you don't say, oh, wow. I mean, this is about this to blow is the up. Guy. Yeah. But tell me if you didn't watch. I mean, if you watch four or five games that year, you're like, this guy is the guy. Like he's he is in command of that offense. He's in command of that team. They win games they're not supposed to. He finds a way. He fights his way. And everybody around that team is saying, honestly, and we're between the line readers, they're saying with honesty like he's taking that step he's being that guy and we haven't really seen that at all from justin fields um and i don't know that he has that general vibe like alan does of this like i'm the dude and no one's gonna yeah. stop me but he started to get confident last year and i was about if, to say yeah i was about to say he ended the year pretty confident in the way his teammates talked about him at the end of the year at the end of, mm -hmm. not not in the middle of the, year, the end of the year was really positive, like, you know, in a way that surprised me. And this is taking into account that teammates will often hype up their teammates. If you adjust for that, right, yes. um, it's still, I still remained kind of impressed at the end of the year about the way that they talked about him. Enough that I actually had to check the numbers, right? I was just like, they're really hyping them. Are we? No, okay, we're good. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's kind of where I was at. Um, and yeah, people talk about it like that with Josh Allen. The thing is, 
if all you knew about Kirk Cousins was his vibes this year alone, you could you could be convinced to buy into him as like the guy, right? Winning games he's not supposed to, all of these fourth quarter comebacks, absolutely gritty play. 100% putting it out there on the field, running, taking scrambles, taking tons of hits, getting back up, not complaining about the hits. Like, just like real, like, this is the guy who's leading the team kind of behavior, right? Um, if that's all you knew about him, you didn't know about the the rock tube or the grilling or, <laughs> or, or the COVID stuff, you didn't know about any of that, right? And you just knew about his on-field play and the way teammates talked about him after games. You could be convinced that he's, and we both agree he is not that dude, right? But you could be convinced basically. So we have to be careful of what I'm going to call probably the nerdiest thing I'm going to say on this podcast, which high bar, but I'm going to call it vibe sample size. We have to be careful of vibe sample size here. Well, what I was going to say is now, if you did the vibe check after fourth and eight on Kirk, um, I think the it might have been we might have had to check an old Everson Griffin tweet uh, that might be referenced <laughs> a few times, but I mean that that is that is a, a very valid point though that trying to judge it off of whether they feel it, but I do think it's something that builds momentum over time. That it isn't just a well the guy had three games where he was great and everyone started calling him the guy. It's okay built momentum off that last year, and if we get to the end, and there's also. And I don't know what this is, but there's also a feeling and I'm going to use a Joe Burrow example, but it's not fair because he's the number one overall pick. But with Joe Burrow, his first year, there was just a feeling when you watched him 100%. that he got it right. There 100%. was a game. Yeah, there was a game against Cleveland. Like this guy, the defense was horrible. They were giving up like 40 points and this guy just kept fighting. He's like taking hits, but he was driving. He's making plays. He's keeping him in that game. They're going back and forth in that game where they had no business being in it. Their line was horrible. He didn't have Jamar Chase yet. And yet it was like, this guy's going to find a way. And I remember Mike Zimmer talking about that before they played Cincinnati in 2021. He said, I've been telling everyone in Cincinnati, this is the guy. because, And he cited that like because he fights and everything else. It's something you can see. It's something I haven't necessarily seen a lot in Justin Fields, uh, but I think it started to flash last year. Uh, last one real quick, and we'll just make this a, a fun one. I want you to talk me into whoever you believe is the second best quarterback in Vikings history. So we know who number one is, the GOAT, Fran Tarkinson. Talk me into the second best quarterback in Vikings history. Can be whoever you want it to be. This is just a Dante Culpepper conversation all over again, just from Twitter onto here. I didn't uh, say that. I didn't say that. I said whoever you knew where you we're going. To be. You know, Rich right, Gannon? So- so Case Keaton, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Rich Gannon, if you include his whole career and then acknowledge that he was on the Vikings. But um, I'm going to say in a Vikings uniform, I'm going to go with Dante Culpepper. Why wouldn't I? Um, I think that we did a very poor job of evaluating the impact that quarterback rushing had on quarterbacks. And despite that, Dante Culpepper had um, really astounding passing numbers for the time. I think that people do a really poor job of era adjusting those passing numbers. Uh, and so... We, we might say, hey, back in the 70s, those were different. So the fact that Fran Tarkenton didn't crack 100 passer rating doesn't matter to me. That's not what won games. But like in, that changes suddenly in the 90s, I guess, um, or the 2000s, early 2000s. And it's like when you look at a graph, all those numbers are way up. They're way up. And so um, it's, it's, it's tough. But when you era adjust, Dante Culpepper is right behind Fran Tarkenton and adjusted net yards per attempt, right, when you era adjust. And that does not include his rushing. 
right? Like, like <laughs> that's really important, right? Like he set records as a, as a rusher and passer. And I think anybody that puts himself into an MVP conversation the same year that Peyton Manning is having one of the best passing seasons in the history of football. And, and this other guy is in the conversation for MVP. That is so meaningful to me. That's so huge that I think that you absolutely have to go with Dante Culpepper. And like the idea that like, Hey, he had this great receiving core and a fantastic offensive line. And it's like, yeah, man, I have seen bad quarterbacks with a great receiving core and a great offensive line do nothing. I've seen that all the time. And I've seen good quarterbacks do uh, have all of that available to them. And they don't enter the MVP conversation suddenly. That doesn't happen unless we're doing some weird, hey, maybe Matthew Stafford should be the MVP. No, he shouldn't. You know, it, it, <laughs> no one believes that. And you don't believe it either. You just need to say something so that you can have a week 16 take that isn't tired. Fine. But people were genuinely saying that Dante Culpepper should be considered for MVP the year Peyton Manning broke like 18 different passing records. Like they were just like, yeah, but have you seen this guy? Like, that's crazy. We were just talking about that dude. Dante Culpepper was 100% that dude. People believed in him 100%. And the thing is, we have a bunch of on-off splits for Culpepper. We've seen Brad Johnson play with it, which Brad Johnson was not bad, but he was great. Mm -hmm. But like, we've seen other quarterbacks play when Culpepper is out. And Culpepper has consistently been miles and miles ahead better than obviously we have to deal with like the fact that in 2005 he wasn't that good even before the injury and then after the injury and you know all that right that's fair but we're just talking about kind of who you would have or who's had kind of the best career for the vikings and i would say even after you include all of that that it's easily called pepper because he reached higher highs than almost any other quarterback in vikings history um he had all of the intangibles that you ask for in that kind of quarterback and um, he did exactly what you want someone to do when they have that kind of stuff. I mean, Peyton, like we were just talking about Peyton Manning, 2004 Peyton Manning, phenomenal receiving core, right? Your second best receiver is Reggie Wayne. Get out of here, right? And that offensive line, like two of them are probably going to the hall. Like that's a pretty good offensive line. And we're saying Peyton Manning doesn't deserve credit. 100% he does, just like Dante Culpepper did. So like, I think that you, you take a look at kind of all of this into, and, and also those defenses were not always good. Maybe they were great at stopping the run. They were not always good defense. They were bad. They were very bad. Yes, <laughs> so, they were very bad. And and you were just talking about like this this Justin Fields like you know at any moment he could break off a sixty yard touchdown run, and you always have to be aware of that. And so that's always going to put him above the bottom tier of quarterbacks, and that's fine. But it's like let's say hypothetically we take that quality of a player and make him a really good passer. Holy crap, we have Dante Culpepper. We don't have to we don't have to debate this. It's, Kirk Cousins is a very good quarterback, right? But Culpepper was a great. Like he was uh, and and if he had, he'd been able to 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 last just a bit longer without that injury, we would be talking about him as like not just like ring of honor, but like borderline like, "Hey, maybe we the Vikings should organize maybe like a Hall of like again, if he was not injured, maybe they should organize a Hall of Fame. He probably wouldn't get in. But that's not the question. The question is, is he the second best Vikings quarterback of all time? And I think that he is. I, like, I don't know. He's just so good. Yeah. I mean, I think that you have to have like a Tommy Kramer discussion because Tommy did not inherit great teams and then uh, had some really good years with them. Uh, probably the fact that Wade Wilson took them to the NFC Championship takes away from that for Tommy Kramer. Um, and is in comparison to Kirk the best year that Kirk cousins had was a year where they ran the ball like crazy and ran play action, took deep shots in 2019. That was his best, most efficient year. And I think that never happened for Dante Culpepper. He was the whole offense. Oh, 
Yeah, and- watching those games, it's like, oh, wow, I'm watching like ancient football. But then you watch another 2004 game from a different team and you're like, yeah. wait, wait, you he could have been playing in shotgun. What are we doing here? These like right. seven step dropbacks, three tight ends. Like, come on. <laughs> right i mean it's it is yeah it's definitely funny to watch and then you realize how much you have to adjust for era because it looks so much different but uh by by the numbers on this the objective measure um from 2000 to 2004 i looked at approximate value with dante culpepper and the only which is pro football references stat that tries to kind of capture your impact and it's kind of a catch-all and it's not perfect like nothing is But the only player that was higher from 2000 to 2004 was Peyton Manning in the entire league than Dante Culpepper. Uh, And, you know, some of that might be, look, if you turn the ball over a lot, the other team scores and you play in shootouts and the Vikings didn't have good defenses. So a lot of stats got racked up and things like that. But NFC Championship uh, experience, uh, beat the Packers in the playoffs. I mean, these are things that um, you can kind of look at Either the, the numbers one quarter uh, playoff games. That was crazy. What an error. You, but that's the thing is that you can look at the numbers perspective. You can look at the skill perspective, or you can look at the production uh, relative to when they played. Um, and I, I don't think there's really much of a discussion here that Culpepper would be number two, but there are some other like interesting debates, including do you get, if your highs were very, very, very high, do you get in the conversation with one year, which would be Randall Cunningham, because it's not just a good year. It was legitimately the greatest offensive performance in the history of man throwing around pigskin when he played in 1998. But he also won a playoff game for them in 1997 with some incredibly clutch throws at the end of that game. So like, I think Randall Cunningham gets into the discussion in the top five. And if you were arguing was Randall Cunningham's highs, does that, is that worth more than Kirk Cousins consistently good? Uh, how much do we want to blame Kirk Cousins for the fact that Mike Zimmer loved to run and play action all the time, like that kind of thing. So there's a lot that goes in there, but I think that um, there's, it's, it, it's been a long time since Dante Culpepper yeah. played for the Vikings and it's very easy to forget. But then when you go back and look, like, okay, wow. And I think that just in general, local fan bases either overrate or underrate their own players. Uh, there, When I got here, when I moved here, there were a lot of people who were like, man, it's Joe Maurer, man. He's just not any good. Like, Joe Maurer? Like the, like the catcher? You're saying, <laughs> well, he's, his contract's too big. And like, the, the MVP? You guys are saying he's not good? What? Uh, so the local fan bases have ways of doing that. They could get cynical about a player. And I, you know, I, I also wonder with Culpepper, he's one of the great what ifs, because if he plays all the way through the 2019, where the roster got built up and built up, you know, maybe he's Favre instead of Favre being Favre. So that's, that's what makes Vikings history so great. But I um, just looked up. So Arby's don't matter has EPA per play going all the way back to 99, 2000 to 2004, number two in EPA per play is Dante Culpepper right behind, of course, Peyton Manning, who like laps the field. Um, but like after that, it's like Trent Green and Rich Gannon and like Mark Bolter, right? Like it's like, he's better than those guys. <laughs> That's pretty much. Yeah. A bunch of guys who we would kind of compare to cousins. So yeah, there's always, there's always that like, you guys don't think he's any good. Like, no, that's not true. Culpepper was just unbelievable. Um, yeah. for a short period of time. So this was fun. I think you did a great job in your first talk me into appearance. Of course, I did a better job uh, of answering the questions, but no, this was, this was really fun. Talk I'm glad we, that. yeah. <laughs> My Justin Fields answer was fire. Um, 
<laughs> no, but this this was good. I wish you the best of luck with all your handiwork. We'll get to a Lynx game very soon. And uh, make sure to read Arif's national football writing at Pro Football Network. I'm I'm happy for you. I see you get you get a lot of uh, traction on your articles. So um, glad glad that that's happened for you. And really appreciate the time, man. We'll do it soon. Awesome. Appreciate it, man. Have a good one.